0: I want you to open up your Bibles, by the way, to Acts chapter 1. We're starting there, and then we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12. So we're going to be in two spots tonight, and I pray it's a blessing. So this is actually week three of How to Talk with God. And every week of the series, I'm going to remind you of two things. Number one, real prayer comes not from gritting your teeth, but from falling in love. And so this whole idea, as we're talking about prayer, I'm talking a lot about grace, talking a lot about the gospel. The reality is is that he loves us and he's inviting us into a conversation with him. The other thing I want to remind you and that our prayer is for the series is by the end of it, I really genuinely want you to experience real prayer like never before. And I'd love for you to give me those testimonies. If God has been speaking in your life and you'd be able to talk to him like never before because of this series, please uh, let me know and let me just rejoice with you. And so we're looking at different people in the Bible that pray. So we've looked at David. We looked at the two on the Emmaus Road. And now we're going to look at Paul um, and really how he found power in prayer. And so that's the title for tonight's message is How to Pray for Power. We need to be praying for power. Let's pray together. God, we need your power. And we ask you, God, that you would uh, just honor, honor yourself tonight through your word. God, I pray that I would step away and that you would step in and, and fill us with your presence. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And God, I pray for Hebrews 4.16 to be a reality in the life of our church. And that's where we are so adamant, so convinced of your love, that we boldly approach you with all things because we need your mercy and we need your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Main idea for tonight God can work with any plan, but he only works through his power. I want you to think about that. He can work through any plan. This is something that's really encouraging, because a lot of us, we do a lot of time praying for God's will. We try to pray for God's direction, which isn't a bad thing to pray for at all. But sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we make the wrong decision. We're, we're with the wrong person. And the beauty of the gospel, because of Romans 8 and other scriptures, it says, you know what, it doesn't really matter what plan you're on. If you step left or step right, uh, God still will make a way. He still finds a way to glorify himself. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't use your power. He doesn't use the power of the world. He only uses his power. And that's the power we need to tap into. That's why I want you to look at Acts 1. Starting at verse 6, just to set the context here of one example of Jesus saying, no, it's not necessarily about the plan, it's more about the power. Verse 6, so this is uh, Jesus has risen again. He has moments left with his disciples. Verse 6 says, so when they, being the disciples, had come together, they asked him, being Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? So they have just a few moments to be face-to-face with God. They could have said or asked anything, and they spent their last moments focusing on a plan. And their plan was actually the wrong plan. In their mind, the whole reason Jesus came, they still are believing it's all about restoring it to Israel. This idea of this political Israel where Israel will now defeat Rome and Greece and any other power and Israel will rule over the world. But Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not just Israel. It's this this kingdom of God that he is coming to usher in. And so they kind of even have the plan wrong altogether. But you and I, we do this. When we pray, we're stuck on a plan. It's usually our plan. And we ask God, is this the plan? Is this the plan? But notice how Jesus responds in verse 7. Verse 7 says, is my remote not working? I need you with me, Zach. All of a sudden my remote's uh, dying on me or something happened. So next slide. That's a bummer. So he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, He's saying, Look, don't get so caught up in the plan. Instead, he says, Look, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea. And Samaria into the ends of the earth. And because the disciples actually believed in this and walked in this power, you and I are gathering together here on a Sunday night in Queen Creek, Arizona, because it was gone to the ends of the earth, and we pray it continues to do so. And by the way, I was just at our denominations convention this week, and something to celebrate and praise God for is we actually commissioned 52 more families to leave here, America, and to go across the world to share the gospel, to live their full time. Some of them are going to places who have never heard of Jesus before. And so we celebrate that. We want to thank you for your giving to that. We're excited about that. But anyways, let's go back to Acts uh, 1.8. What is Jesus doing here? The disciples in their prayer, they focused on the plan, but Jesus focused on the power. Sarah says that, "Look, look, it's not about you. It's not about the time or the hour. What you need to be looking for is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Why? Because God can work with any plan, but he only works through his power. What's actually typical for us is we do the opposite. We only want God's plan, but we're fine to use any power. We are willing to use anything in order to get something done. But the scriptures here are saying, wait on God and God alone. My remote's working again, praise the Lord. Power of prayer, folks, okay? Write this down. Here's another way to put it. You don't need to know the time or the hour, but you do need to grow in step with God's power. We get so caught up in understanding the plan. We spend most of our prayer life trying to figure out what's next, when in reality what we need more than that is for the power of God to rest on us, the power of God to help us in whatever situation we're in. And so that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Tonight is two questions. Number one, what is God's power And number two, how do we step into it? Those are good questions. What is God's power? There's three types of power that come from prayer we see all throughout the scriptures. Number one, I would call it intimacy with God. This is power. Last week we learned, we talked about this, we, we talked about receiving the love of God. We, we learned that we are forgiven, we can be healed in Christ Jesus, satisfied and loved and redeemed. And so it's this intimacy with God is truly a miracle because we believe in the gospel and that when we are born, we're born in sin. And because of our sin, because of our pride, because of our, our wickedness, we are separated from God. So the reality that you and I can be intimate with God again, that we can feel his closeness, that we can communicate with him and he can communicate back to us, this is a miracle. This is power. We cannot underestimate that. And so for me, every time I start my morning, my number one prayer, there's a lot of things I want to pray through, but number one is intimacy with God. God, I want to love you and I want to remember that you love me. I need to get my heart warmed up to the Father. And so this is a power that, that changes the trajectory of our life. And so we've been trying to look through different ways that we do pray that prayer, but tonight's not about that topic. The second way that we have power through prayer is intercession for others. This is really good news for those of you who receive bad news this week, for those of you who have relationships where you're, you're so distraught in the situation that they're in. And maybe the hardest part for you is you feel helpless, right? You feel like, if I can just fix this situation for them, why aren't they making the right decision? Why won't they follow the way of Jesus? Why are they, you know, insert the blank? And the beauty of prayer, which we're going to really step into the next few weeks, and I want to stretch our church to be praying prayers of faith, prayers that things will change because of prayer. There are stories of missionaries I'm going to share about people who never fundraise, never ask anybody for money. But they prayed to God that money would show up. And every month, miraculously, money would show up. What is that? That's intercession. That's believing prayers in faith. And this is a huge power. And so we pray for the change to happen in the lives of others. I believe prayer can change history. It can change the course of somebody's life. I love how Vance Pittman, a pastor, mentor of mine, he says, look, we don't pray before the work. Prayer is the work. And I love that. Prayer has the power to break strongholds, to save the lost, to rescue the broken. And I encourage you to pray these types of prayers. But the third type of prayer is the one I want us to focus on tonight, this kind of power. And it's the interior transformation of self. This is something at Passion Creek we really love to talk about. Because we believe that God, the gospel, when you believe in Jesus, that you are saved for eternity. But another thing we love to talk about is like, your life changes today It's not about just some eternal thing that will finally happen down in the future. But we believe eternity also in the Greek is actually talking about eternity starts now. This new life, zoe, life in Christ, this abundant life begins today. And some of us have given up hope. We believe these addictions are just who we are. We haven't experienced victory in certain areas and we just have come to believe this is just how life will be. And we're here to say and to preach and to disciple and walk together and say, no, God has ordained for us to be transformed into the image of his son, to look like him, to be with him and to become like him. And so this is what we need to pray for. And this is our focus tonight. How can we pray for power in a way that we are transformed from within? And the hard part is we typically pray, especially here in America, we pray for triumph rather than transformation. What we need to pray for more is transformation. What do I mean? Most of us, when we pray, we say, okay, God, take away this mountain. But what if God actually put that mountain there for you to learn how to walk through it? A lot of us, we pray and we say, okay, God, remove this storm. But what if the real prayer is, God, give me the stability to be a non-anxious presence, to be a blessing to others in the midst of this storm. Right? We want triumph, and I think it's because we think a miracle is much easier than the actual changing of our own self. But the gospel is more about transformation than it is about triumph. Dallas Willard puts it this way. He said, prayer is, above all, a means of forming character. It combines freedom and power with service and love. What God gets out of our lives, and indeed what we get out of our lives, is simply the person we become. It is God's intention that we should grow into the kind of person, I love this line, to grow into the kind of person he could empower to do what we want to do. This is our goal at Passion Creek, honestly. This is the goal, that you would be so in in the will and the power of God, that God can just empower you to do what you want to do because your life, your mind, your heart is so transformed. it so coincides with the will of the father that your will and his will are the same. And he empowers you to do what you want to do. And so tonight we're gonna look at that transformation of the self. How do we access that power? How do we change our lives? And we're gonna look at that by looking at 2 Corinthians 12. So now we're done with Acts for tonight. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As you are getting there, just some context on uh, Corinthians. Uh, our church family, uh, we are six years old. Uh, about a year and a half of that has been spent in First and Second Corinthians. So we've actually gone through both books together as a faith family. It's on our website if you are interested. in looking back at that, although it was a few years ago, I'd like to think I have gotten better at preaching. Who knows? Maybe they're better. So anyway, so that's that. Paul actually wrote three letters to Corinth, but we actually only have two. Um, This was a, a troubling church. This church had all sorts of issues. For example, it talks about in the scriptures that rather than sharing possessions like the church is called to do, they would sue each other to get more stuff. Also, there's other stories of rather than eating together, they would cut each other in line to get drunk off the communion. This was the church in Corinth. This was the kind of church your lost friend was a little too comfortable to be in. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, this place is great. And so the church in Corinth had a lot of issues. And it's amazing how much Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He's laboring. He wants them to change. He, Paul has this huge story of, of interior transformation. And he desperately wants the people of Corinth not just to be forgiven... But to be completely transformed. And so he's constantly writing them letters, laboring in love to help them become more like Christ. And so he does something any good leader or communicator does. He does, in 2 Corinthians 12, he opens up and he gets vulnerable. He decides, okay, by the power of the Spirit, obviously, he decides to tell them his own experience of transformation, hoping to relate to them and say, okay, this is what you two must do as well. And so for us, It's the people of God in 2022. We look to his words as an example as well. So let's look, 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. This is just a little bit of context. Um, the people of God, the, the church in Corinth, was starting to believe these other false teachers, and he's saying, Look, I'm better than these false teachers. Okay? That's he's he's doing a humble brag. Uh, read before verse six to understand. But he says, if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. That's a baller line. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not even it's not bragging, if it's real, you know? So that's what he's saying. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Again, he's trying to prove his authority as a pastor for this church, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, so God's done so much in his life, but not to exalt him because he received a heavenly vision, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. There's actually many different ways to preach this passage, and I hope that you give me grace. We don't have enough time to do every single line here, but there is a lot that we can take away. Paul is actually probably the second or maybe the third most influential person in history, and yet Paul gets super vulnerable here, and he tells you and I that he has a thorn in the flesh. Now, what is a thorn? Nobody knows exactly his thorn. Thorn obviously communicates something of discomfort, something that injures him. Uh, It can be a mental or emotional or spiritual, physical. There's all sorts of different options. But it's this thorn, some people say in his side. Uh, There's many different, and we're going to look at that in just a few minutes, the different things that people thought his thorn was. But essentially, we have to learn a couple things. First of all, we actually don't know exactly what his thorn in the flesh is. He just calls it a thorn in the flesh. Some people think the thorn is the messenger of Satan. Others say it was a thorn in the flesh, and because of the thorn, now Satan is using that thorn to discourage him. So maybe it's a a both and or either, you know, so people really are trying to figure this out. The beauty of it is Paul doesn't get super detailed on what the thorn in the flesh is. Why? Here, I want you to write down these two things, very helpful. This number one is a leadership lesson. Look, being fully authentic is crucial, but being fully transparent is dangerous. Paul wants the people of Corinth to change. They want, he wants interior transformation. And he knows the only way for them to do that is to, for him to get vulnerable and to also show how God has used him. So he was fully authentic by saying, look, I, I have these credentials, but I also have a lot of pain. I have this success, but I also have a lot of suffering. And so he is authentic. He shares that there is a debilitating struggle. This should be enough of a shock for us. Paul, the one who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, this Paul is hurt? This Paul has a thorn? But notice, we don't know exactly what the thorn is. Why? Why? this is a leadership lesson. If you know me, it's something I'm trying to learn because I can tend to be not just authentic, but fully transparent. Paul decides not to use every detail. Why? This is a leadership lesson for all of us, friends, even parents, fathers. Your kids need to know that you suffer, but sometimes they don't need to know everything. Here's the lesson. Look, Paul knew if he got so detailed, you and I would focus on the problem rather than the power We'd make a big deal about the problem and just talk about the problem over and over. Start gossiping about the problem rather than learning the principle of this lesson. put it another way. This is the second lesson we see here. Look, Paul doesn't identify the thorn so you could identify yourself. So he doesn't want you to get distracted with his own thorn. But he also wants you to read this and go, I know my thorn. I don't know the thorn he's talking about, but we all have a thorn and so you can read yourself into this text. You can, he's inviting you into this story. What are some thorns? What are some thorns in the flesh that you and I may be struggling with? We believe as followers of the way, we do get transformed, that, that God does change us, that we have a beautiful story of transformation. But we also believe until we go to heaven, there are some issues and our issues have issues. Amen? Right? We don't have this whole thing figured out. So what are some thorns? I would describe it this way. It's not in your notes, but you could write it down. It's a trial or a temptation. Thorns in your life can either be a trial or a temptation, a trial. So for Paul specifically, we see, uh, like in Galatians, Paul seems to have some vision problems. This is actually Acts 9. When he gets saved, he is blinded. So a lot of people think his eye problem is the thorn in the flesh, literal flesh meaning the body. Other people have reason to believe he struggled with epilepsy. Maybe it was stomach pain. Maybe it was a nagging opponent. Maybe it was somebody who was coming to church. We see this in the book of Acts. Paul dealt with a a lady, the seller of purple goods, that just kept nagging him and, and making fun of him and threatening him. So this could be a thorn in the flesh where he's dealing with it. Or maybe, and I think a lot of us would relate to this one, or it's a temptation. Paul is dealing with the besetting sin, where no matter how much Scripture he reads or writes for him, no matter how much he engages, there's still this temptation that is alluring to him. And he's not perfect, and he gives in at times. Maybe for you, that sin is bitterness. You're trying hard to forgive. But man, it's a thorn in your flesh. Maybe it's lust. This is a big one. This is an epidemic, especially because of our digital world and how easy it is to access This is a thorn in the flesh, or it's something like that. It's a trial, or it's a temptation. Okay? So it's a beautiful thing. Paul is saying, look, I have power that rests on me, but don't get it twisted. I have a thorn in me as well. My issues have issues. But the miracle here, this is the prayer lesson. I think most of us just skip when we're reading this text. The miracle is this next verse. He says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Now, people think three times actually represents perfection, so maybe it wasn't three like, like, in a day, just three different times. People think maybe three seasons of life, three different like, months. I don't know. There's all sorts of different. Don't get too caught up in that. But essentially, I, I repetitively asked for this thorn to be removed, that it would leave me. Now, here's the beauty. Here's what we need to learn about in prayer. Most of us thought about our trials or temptations. Most of us don't talk to, about, talk to God about our thorns. And so the power was in learning to talk to God about the very thing that was full of shame. The power came to Paul when he talked to God about the very thing that maybe brought guilt or brought bitterness. Here, put it this way look, here's, the, here's how you pray you bring your thorn to the throne. This is the miracle here. This is how you pray. As a pastor, I talk to you, okay? And, and I, I get so, I try to figure out how to communicate this better because so often, man, the, 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 the Satan just condemns us because we think, oh, man, I can't pray because I have this issue. Like God, man, God is so upset with me. Until I fix that, then God, then God will hear me. And that's complete opposite of what prayer is about complete opposite of the gospel. We don't fix our thorn and then go to the throne. We have to go to the throne in order to fix the thorn. This is uh, Rodel Roheiser. He put it this way. I think it's a great quote. He says, what's so unfortunate is that most often, because we misunderstand prayer, we stay away from it just when we most need it. We try to, to pray only when we feel good, centered, reverent, and worthy of praying. But we don't try to pray precisely when we most need it. That is, when we are feeling bad, irreverent, sinful, emotionally and sexually preoccupied, and unworthy of prayer. This is how you get power. You pray your sin. You pray your thorn. You work through this. Man, if we get this, man, this changes everything. Let's look at this next verse. He says, but he said to me, so God says, look, I'm leaving this thorn, and there's a reason. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's everything you need, he says, for my power is perfected in weakness. Other translations say, my power is made perfect in weakness. Notice the paradox. Perfect comes from weakness, according to the scriptures according to God. How can we, this is really hard for us because our misunderstanding of perfect is why you and I miss out on power, because there's actually two concepts of perfect depending on your upbringing. Most of us, we grew up with a more Greek understanding of the concept of perfect. In the Greek, not the Greek language, but the Greek thought, this was their concept of perfect during the time of Paul, and it's something we still believe today. You can't come to God until you change right? Now, I want to be perfect. Once I get perfect, then God will love me. Don't we, we think about that, right? This is something that's, that happens all the time. This Greek understanding of perfect, uh, the definition would be to measure up to an ideal standard. So we're thinking, okay, power comes when we're perfect. Once I measure up, then I'll get power. Wrong. Completely wrong. Well, then how does perfect, what, what else can perfect mean? And this is what's really great about the Hebrew sense of perfect, which, again, Paul is well-versed, and he is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. uh, The Hebrew concept of perfect is this. You can't change until you come to God. You see the difference? By our nature, we think you can't come to God until you change, but the gospel says you can't change until you come to God. And so we don't pray to God because we're saying, okay, God, I'll pray to you once I change. And God is saying, you'll change once you pray. We have it completely backwards. The Hebrew definition of perfect is to walk with God despite your flaws. What does it mean to be perfect? Friends, you can be perfect in the Hebrew sense. Despite all of your flaws, you still decide to walk with God. That's perfect. You and I can be perfect because of the gospel. Ronald Roheiser continues. uh, This is page 9. I just read you a quote from page 7 in his book Prayer, which is a phenomenal book. It's only like 80 pages long. He says, what God is asking Is that we bring our helplessness, weaknesses, imperfections, and sin constantly to Him. That we walk with Him and that we never hide from Him. This is my Father's Day reference. God is a good parent. Happy Father's Day, all right? God is a good parent. He understands that we will make mistakes and disappoint Him and ourselves. This is some grace right there. Some of y'all need to highlight that and read that over and over. He understands. This doesn't excuse your sin. But the ironic thing is if you don't bring him your sin, you're going to sin even more. So bring it to him. Next line. What God asks is simply that we come home. That we share our lives with him like any good father. Right? That we let him help us in those ways in which we are powerless to help ourselves. That's how you pray for power. You ask him for it. You get honest with them and say, God, man, I have a lot. My my issues have issues. This is something for me that I have struggled with. Um, In fact, I really, uh, we were at, again, the conference all week. And so I only had these last few days to preach on this. And I almost didn't preach on this. But I thought there's not enough time to come up with another sermon. So we're doing this. It's mainly because I just don't feel qualified to preach this. I struggle getting honest with God. I struggle like doing this. And so I just want you to know, this isn't me saying, hey, I figured it out, follow me. It's like, oh man, let's follow Paul as, as Paul follows Christ. For me, I've tried to come up, I've tried to kind of do some, some, um, you know, like looking back at my history and figuring out why do I do this? Why do I keep certain things away from God? Why, why do I not understand the gospel sometimes? And part of me, what I think is I grew up a pastor's kid. So with that, you live in a glass house, you, you're expected to be perfect, all those things. Um, I've always been known as the good kid, but as I continue to like be a student of Jesus, um, those are just excuses. You know, those, those, are, those aren't even legitimate excuses, but I think they're excuses that keep me from being loved. Like I'm, I'm realizing, man, me hiding parts of my life, me hiding parts of who I am before God, it keeps me from being loved. It keeps me from power. It keeps me from the mission God has for me. And I wonder if that's for you too. And just the ironic thing, it's the easiest thing in the world. You just get honest with God and say, God, I'm powerless here. Here's here's where I'm powerless. I've tried to fix this, but I only make it worse. But God, here's my thoughts. Here's who I am. That's what Paul is saying. Corinth. Paul is saying, Corinth, listen, you're lacking power because you're lacking in prayer. And you avoid God when you have trials and temptations. And those are the very moments you need God the most. He goes on. He says again, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, now Paul is speaking, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. This word reside is like to tabernacle, to dwell within me. Can you imagine? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead can reside in you and reside in me when we get honest about our weakness, when we get honest about our trials and temptations. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the the secret to power. It's just being honest. It's owning your weakness. Can you imagine we as the church here in America, we're making such a big deal about our need for revival and how bad our world is and all that kind of fear-based language, in my opinion. What if we got together and just talked about how weak we are? What if we gathered together and said, man, we're holding these people to these standards. I'm falling in my own standards. We need God. Yes, our country needs God. I need God. What if we took that step in humility and owned our weaknesses and got honest before the Father? Here's the secret for tonight, okay? Here's the, here's the main idea now. I know I already said that earlier. So this is the new main idea. God's power only rests on those who confess. God's power only rests on those who confess. And so, I want you to think through and process tonight what are the trials that you're keeping from God? Maybe it's your money issues. Maybe for you, it's not even that it's an issue, but that you just want it so much you know you shouldn't be envying it like you are. Maybe you need to bring before God just your propensity toward despair, towards depression, towards not wanting to come and be around the things of God. Maybe it's a broken relationship. You need to confess that hurt. You need to confess that pain. Not only that about trials, but what about the temptations? I want you to think, I want you in this moment, even now, to start communicating with God. What are the temptations that you're keeping from God? Because I don't know about you, but I want power. But his power only rests on those who confess. And so maybe it's an addiction you keep running back to over and over and over again. Maybe it's bitterness towards a relationship or your parents or even your father. Maybe you envy your neighbor and you wish that you had their life. Maybe it's lust. I don't know what the temptation is, but how many of us are just holding it in thinking, "Oh man, I can't come to God until I change." And Paul is saying, "No, no, no. You can't change until you come to God." See, God's power will only rest on those who confess. And so that's why I love Hebrews 4. Hebrews four sixteen, He says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We were just talking about most of us, we don't go to God in time of need. But when we go to him at our worst... In that moment, according to the gospel of grace, we can go there boldly because of his mercy and his grace. What a what a beauty. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I just want to encourage you to walk this out this week. In the middle of your temptation, bring it to God and be honest with God and say, "God, I want to do this." I know you don't want me to, but I want to. Let's talk about this, God, help me, God. Say you commit a sin right away. Don't beat yourself up. Don't say, okay, I'm going to get better. Say, God, here I am. I'm weak. I let you down again. I've disappointed you, God. I need your mercy and I need your grace. And thank you that it's here. God, empower me. I want your power. I want to live a transformed life. I don't want to be stuck in this sewage. I want to rise up. I want to be a student of you, Jesus. I want to look like you and talk like you. I want to live like you. And so this is the encouragement. This is the practice for this week. And man, I really believe if we as a church do this, man, we can have so much power, power to change lives, power to, to pray prayers of deliverance in your life and the lives of those around. Here's the practice for this week. Every morning, I want you to remind yourself of this reality. Okay, bring God who you are, not who you aren't. It's pretty simple. Maybe tomorrow morning you wake up, I'm angry. Okay, bring God your anger. Tomorrow, in the afternoon, you say, Heavenly Father, I am tempted and I don't know what to do. In fact, I don't even want to get out of this. Help me. Bring God who you are, not who you aren't. See, God cannot change who you aren't, but God can change and deliver who you are. So bring God who you are this week. Be honest this week doesn't have to, your prayers don't have to sound like King James Version or nothing. It doesn't have to be long. Bring God who you are, not who you aren't. And I want you to see the power of God rest and reside in you as a result. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this truth, this gospel truth. Lord, it is a temptation for me. To try to appear better than I really am. And God, I know it's foolish because, like, of all people, of all things, like, God, you know who I am. And yet we think we can fool you. But God, I'm convinced the only way for us to truly practice this this week of bringing ourselves to you as we are is when we finally realize who you are to us. So God, tonight I just pray for a special revelation. For those who feel unloved, help them see, God, how loving you are. For those who feel shackled to their past, God, set them free and show them that they don't have to be defined by their past, that their their guilt is gone, their shame is gone, their fear can be gone because of the cross of Jesus Christ. God, I just, I'm asking you because in our own power, we don't understand grace. And so, God, would you be so kind? May we as a church just invite you in. May may you be so kind to lavish us with your mercy. God, would you be so kind, and I know you are, that you would pour out your grace. God, would you be so kind that we would truly believe, God, you don't just love us. You like us. And God, you, you long to transform us. You, you're rooting for us. And God, I pray that we would be transformed by that, not because of our own worth or anything we've done, but because of your love and what Christ has done in our place. This is what gives us confidence. Would you give us that hope? God, help us get honest with you this week. Deliver us from addictions. Deliver us from troubled relationships. Deliver us from pain. Deliver us and give us hope because of your grace and your mercy. God, would you bring your power to Passion Creek Church? In Jesus' name I pray. The church says, amen.